Hi, welcome to Biblito, Watsonville Public Library's podcast, where we talk to you all about books, the community, what to read next, and cultural topics. My name is Celeste. My name is Stephanie. And let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, We're really excited today to talk about our books based off of Native American heritage, authors, different, uh, their stories. And I'm really excited to share mine. I really liked mine this month. Yeah, I think this month was really, it was something different for both of us. And for me, I really liked like the storytelling aspect that appeared in my book so yeah it was definitely an enjoyable read yeah and i really liked my storytelling as well character development all of that and we'll get into the nitty-gritty of it in a bit uh we don't have any housekeeping there's nothing really to say today besides i hope everyone's having a great day and and happy fall yeah i know (laughs) it's already what it's the day after october the end of october now everyone's talking about the holidays so (laughs) yeah Uh, So we're going to start with Stephanie's read. I don't know anything about it. I didn't even sneak peek at our outline I was telling her earlier. So I'm going in this with fresh ears. Okay. So um, for this month, I went with a book that had been recommended to me by several friends over the years. It's not like a recently published book. It's from 2018. But I had been told by quite a few friends of mine that they really enjoyed reading it. And it was one of those books that I, like I knew the cover and every time I would see it, I would be like, oh, you know, like I need to read that. This time it was actually really appropriate for the theme that we went with. And the book is There There by Tommy Orange. Um, It was published on June 5th of 2018. The page count is 304 pages. We do have it available through Watson Public Library. We have one copy in print book format and then we have one copy in e-audio format available through Libby. Just a reminder um, if you have a library card and know your pin number you can download the Libby app and then access ebooks and e-audio books through it so it's a great feature slash service that we offer so make sure to utilize it and then with this book before we delve into the summary I did want to go over a few trigger warnings. I also may have missed some because there are quite a few. Oh, okay. Alcoholism, abusive relationships, animal violence, death, gun violence, drugs, racism, rape, suicide, fat phobia, depression, etc. Wow. I think I may have missed some, but this is just a general idea of what you may see. We're going to go ahead and get into the summary now. So There There by Tommy Orange is a multi-generational story that follows the lived experiences of Native Americans who either are from and or live in Oakland, California. So very close close by. Close by to us, right? (laughs) The book begins with an essay describing the violence and genocide that Indigenous people have faced at the hands of American colonizers throughout history. So it just kind of sets the tone for what you're going to see within a current context. Right. And so it's it's this chapter, you know, we kind of see like that tone throughout what we see, like in the chapters that kind of unfold. We see Native American experiences depicted in a raw devastating and also relatable way, which which can be a little bit hard to process. On the topic of indigenous identity, orange rights, what we are is what our ancestors did how they survived. We are the memories we don't remember, which live in us, which we feel which make us sing and dance and pray the way we do. Feelings from memories that flare and bloom unexpectedly in our lives like blood through a blanket from a wound made by a bullet, fired by a man shooting us in the back for our hair, for our heads, for a bounty, or just to get rid of us. 
So that's super powerful. Uh, definitely. So just something to think about. Set in modern day, as the book unfolds, we come to learn that the stories of the individuals referred to in the book are interconnected through familial and or community ties. One common thread throughout the book is that the characters are all looking forward to attending the big Oakland powwow held at the Oakland Coliseum. Each of the characters has a reason for going that is personal and explored within their own respective chapters. So I think that's kind of one of the things I mentioned to Celeste when we were kind of debriefing what we read. There's 12 characters that are kind of are highlighted with like their individual chapters. It can be a little bit hard to keep track of everybody. So if you can have like a character map off the internet, that just might make it easier to remember who people are. I found myself going back and forth just because I wanted to know who was, you know, who that person was. For the sake of the podcast, I won't delve into the, all the characters, but I will talk about a few of them that were quite notable to me. Um, there are just people that resonated with me and, and their stories kind of like stayed in my head after I finished reading. So one of the initial characters that we meet is Dean Oxendean, who is trying to continue the work of his deceased uncle who wanted to capture the stories of Native Americans on film and documentary form. Dean's uncle died of alcoholism when Dean was young. And so Dean feels a sense of responsibility to pursue his uncle's unfulfilled dream and make it come to life. As an adult, Dean seeks out grant funding to make his Native American stories documentary project possible. It aims to provide monetary compensation to those who share their experience with him. So basically, he is seeking people out to share these very personal lived experiences, and he's giving them money for it, which is which is great because, you know, like people deserve to be compensated when right, they're sharing these yeah. things. And so in an effort to connect with the wider audience, we learn that Dean plans to have a booth at the powwow where he intends to interview attendees and film their stories. Another family that we come to meet are sisters, Jackie Redfeather and Opal Viola Victoria Bearshield. We initially meet the sisters and their mother as they are about to move from Oakland to Alcatraz Island during the occupation of Alcatraz Island in 1969. And while there, the young girls come to experience harsh realities that they did not anticipate and an eventual encounter with a group of teens that results in the traumatic rape of Jackie, which in turn results in a pregnancy which Jackie elects to carry to term and ultimately gives the baby up for adoption. And this happens to them as children. That's insane. Uh, Insane to me. Opal's a younger sister and I think one of the scenes that I found particularly memorable while they were there on Alcatraz Island is she had this bear with her Mm -hmm. and then, you know, after that happens with her sister or like when that that encounter is happening with her sister where she's with that group of teens and, and something happens to her she kind of like leaves the bear outside and I don't know because you know I think you think of like dolls and bears as like innocence right right and so when they're finally going to leave the island she's like you know she like decides to leave it behind so it's just kind of like I feel like it's kind of like a symbol of like this like kind of like loss of innocence I totally agree right it just kind of stays with you like I always think about the bear being there on the on the island just left out in the sun as adults the sisters have dealt with significant hardships Jackie a recovering alcoholic whose daughter committed suicide and Jackie is also a grandmother whose grandchildren are being raised by her sister, Opal. The older Opal that we meet is described as being a responsible caretaker for her family. She strives to keep her family safe and is afraid for her nephews to be exposed to things that she was as a child, so much so that she attempts to shield them from their Native American background and prohibits the young boys from going to the powwow, which ultimately makes them want to go more. Right, because right. they they want to get to know where they come from. They want to find a sense of community. Right. Um, I think with one of them in particular, he was just really interested in in the dance and the performance aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so we see kind of that that kind of um, dichotomy. And so at the same time, there's kind of a a storyline that we see kind of take shape throughout the chapters, like 
there's there's chapters that kind of focus on individuals that are like older and where kind of like generational trauma or like hardships that they've gone through like how how they've ended up as as adults right but then we also come to meet these younger individuals and they kind of show you this this storyline that's kind of taking shape that storyline we come to meet a group of young men who have come together as a team to rob the powwow of fifty thousand dollars worth of gift cards intended as a prize the money they they plan to use it to pay off some sort of like drug debt but i think what makes it kind of i guess confusing is like there's all this involvement from different individuals like one of the kids makes these like um he kind of has a what is it called it's not a what is it called that the thing that flies in the sky a drone a drone okay oh yeah so so we have like one kid who has a drone we have another and then i think it's that same kid that has a 3d printer and he's able to make weapons with it and so you kind of see like their plans kind of like take shape Uh but you don't really get a sense of like yes there's all this involvement right but it's you don't really understand who's going to benefit from this the most right so it's kind of ambiguous ultimately i think what ends up happening, I was really surprised by it as a reader because I didn't know what was going to happen. But I think, you know, as far as like getting people to read it, like I think it is worth it. I just don't want to go into what happens at the end because I think that's that's really what makes it really shocking and, and hard to process. Yeah. But I would like to caution readers that what transpires can be difficult to process. But I really, I really commend Tommy Orange's way of like creating the story and weaving all of these stories together. And then I think also it's just like, his characters felt like such real people. Right. You know, and I think I always have that that a hard time sometimes with books where it's like the characters just don't feel like authentic or real. And I think in the case of a lot of the people that we see, it's like you see them as these like multi-dimensional beings. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so for as far as my likes, like I mentioned, like I feel like the book just felt really raw. Mm-hmm. They felt like people like... I could know or know in my own life. I think like the talk of like the powwow and this like Native American background, like I had a childhood friend that was Native American and, and they would always go to powwows. And so that kind of, it's like just like somewhat like the language and like, you know, like those experiences, like it seemed kind of familiar to me. Yeah. I think the other thing was the writing style and the pacing. I feel like it really, the way that the book was structured and maybe it's because the chapters were kind of short was like, you, I just wanted to keep reading and I wanted to know what was happening. And so it really kept me interested and I finished it really, pretty quickly. As far as dislikes, I mean, I just find it really hard to critique it because it's like, I don't feel like it's my place to do so, to be fully honest. And then like themes that I kind of identified one of them was like authenticity i think that was like the big one i think authenticity can be like interpreted in so many ways especially because the book kind of starts out with those questions especially like by like the intent of like the characters that we see Uh we like kind of see people who are trying to pursue the idea of like being their authentic selves we see people trying to connect and find community and by extension connect with like an authentic part of themselves which which is really interesting and i think in including so many perspectives that are similar or and different the reader can infer that being authentic doesn't really fall within like a single narrow idea and so it can be kind of broad and like subject to interpretation and then i think the other thing was just generational trauma yeah um because like i feel like we like that book it just kind of you see like these cycles and i think you see people try to change it and then i think you see people who are just kind of trapped in it and so it's it's interesting to see like the like the polar differences right yeah so that's kind of that's my summary for this book but i really recommend it (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I really know, liked you, it. You held back so much of not saying more details because like you said it's like really important to yeah i read just it. i just feel like i feel like he does such a good job of like writing it mm-hmm. that i just don't really want to to give it away you know yeah but i feel like it's really worth reading awesome yeah anything else you want to say no i think that's it mm-hmm. i don't know i feel because i know you as a like as a reader and like when we've already read other books and you saying that this at last half of the book the ending is as pretty intense makes yeah, me it's imagine pretty heavy. that it's gonna be pretty pretty heavy and yeah heavy. it's just like very emotional like yeah like i think it could make people cry probably oh my gosh yeah okay. but well thanks stephanie for welcome. sharing that okay now i have situated myself in a position where i can <laughs> begin so we're gonna go ahead i'll go ahead and start with my my read the book that i chose for the month is the marrow thieves by i think it's Cherry Demoline. I hope I pronounced that okay. I didn't really look it up. That's my fault. But it was published uh, September 1st of 2017. So it's also not that quite, not quite new, but it's around the same time that yours came out, Stephanie, around Mm -hmm. that area. The page count is 231 pages, not that bit long of a book. And the audiobook was seven hours. So it's a pretty quick book, pretty quick read. We do have it here at the Watsonville Public Library. So we have one copy in print book format in English. We have an ebook copy and an audiobook copy through Libby. And like Stephanie said, use that library card and that pin because that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> it counts. Um, yeah. So the genre of this book is considered uh, dystopian science fiction. Oh, different. Um, so it's very different, but it definitely has elements that you have touched on previously, Stephanie. So I'm really, I was really happy when you were kind of explaining your themes and stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, like it's very similar in what this author was trying to do as well. Okay. This book did win awards and I kind of wanted to highlight some of the awards it did win. It won the Burt Award for First Nations, the Matisse and Inuit Literature Award, Governor General's Literary Award, the Kirkus Prize in Young Readers Literature Award, and it was a finalist for the Trillium Book Award. So it does have some awards under its belt. Yeah, so I'm gonna start with the summary. And before the summary, I also have trigger warnings for those. This is a young adult book, and it does have trigger warnings. And I do I do believe it is young adult, but the, it is a very heavy read for young adults. So mature. So it's very mature. And I probably didn't mention all of them. And there were some that Stephanie mentioned in hers that I was like, oh, actually, those are in mine too. There is animal abuse. Yeah. There's murder. There's torture. There's racism. There's mentions of rape. There's child abuse. And there's kidnapping mentioned as well. There are elements of that. Oh, and as well as uh, depression. Mentions of depression and um, suicide. So I didn't include those, but after hearing Stephanie's, I was like, oh yeah, those are in mine as well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm going to get into the summary. So the novel begins with the coming to story of Frenchie, an 11-year-old boy growing up in the Matisse indigenous community in Canada. The story mentions Frenchie, or his, other, his original name's Francis, um, mo- his moments that led him to the group he is with now. Not long ago, Frenchie's dad left with the council to try to convince the governors to stop the atrocities happening at the residential schools. His mom became depressed and recruiter- recruiters got her. Frenchie was hiding and running from these people after he and his brother found Doritos that alerted recruiters of their location from the sound. His brother, Mitch, sacrificed himself and was taken by the recruiters so Frenchie can get away. It described the conditions he was walking through, the outdoor elements, the lack of water and food, his body going through dehydration and starvation. And the moments when he felt like he was about to die, he woke up to the voices of salvation. This was another group of native people on the run. Then we are introduced to Mig, 
uh, middle-aged Anish. Oh, I'm so sorry if I mispronounce some of these tribal names. Anishnab man who throughout the story becomes Frenchie's surrogate father. Frenchie's new family consists of the teens, Chiboy, Wab, and the twins, Tree and Ziguan, the kids, Riri and Slopper, Mig, and the elder Minerva. Now in the present, around after 2050, so pretty close to us now in time, rise, but... Also not that far away. Yeah, it's not that far away. So the place and time of this is in about 30 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so now this is the present. Frenchie is 16 and has been with the group for five years. A newcomer comes along, Rose, and Frenchie falls for her immediately. There is a love story in this as well. Very, At very slight, time. but yeah. it's not, but it's there. The story, I want to say the story with a capital S, which is a story told by elders to the members old enough to understand it and is about how they came to be where they are now and their people before them goes like this. The indigenous Anishinaab people were proud warriors, but newcomers opened residential schools to subjugate them and deprive them of their language. After the end of those original schools, water became scarce. As governments began fighting over water and taking it from the, tri- the, la- the, tr- the lands of those tribes, the north started to melt and natural disasters killed millions of people. Some people stopped dreaming. Mig says that the pipelines burst and poisoned the earth and the sun started to disappear for weeks at a time. People stopped dreaming and some turned to the indigenous populations with curiosity. Indigenous people could still dream. The ability to dream was somehow stored in the indigenous people's bone marrow and the government began to construct new residential schools where the marrow was forcibly extracted. So that kind of sounds like the other book that you read. The other one with the the, the book which one the book of night something like that right didn't it have like the some last people one? some people had like an ability yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this isn't magical though this is more like it touches on like science it's like spirituality and kind spirituality of spirituality yeah. and like the way of like like because you know indigenous legends and stories or t- like t- yeah. T- they have spiritual essence to them. And but it's like have. that concept of, like, taking something away from another group for, like, the benefit. Of the, 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 that yeah. other group. Yeah. yeah. So it's definitely the same same idea. I don't even think of it that way. <laughs> so that is why indigenous people are on the run, and we do not find this out early in the beginning. So I was kind of confused. That's why I started off with that chapter, and I was like, so what are they running from? Yeah. But as we read about their struggles, their relationships, and Frenchie's thoughts, because it's told in his first person by him. There are also important chapters called Coming to Story, which is a chapter dedicated to a character and their experiences before coming to the group. I want to preface that these were intense. Nothing held back and I teared up during one. Oh my gosh. Um, It was awful. And this is where we feel the triggers I mentioned before. I don't want to go into details of each person because I really think if you choose to read this book, it is worth reading and finding out on your own. Yeah. So as the story goes on and we're learning about these characters, we are following their journey to the north where it is believed more indigenous peoples are hiding and forming communities of safety, a home. Along the way, the group confronts important events and people that alter the dynamics in their group and influence Frenchie in extreme ways. So that is my short summary. I don't want to give away the ending. There are a lot of events that lead up to ultimately the end, but I will go over my themes right now because it will touch on other details, kind of almost like a summary, part of the summary, but not, but yeah. not giving anything away. Yeah. These themes include, and I'm going to go over them, um, cyclical histories, language, and indigenous oppression. 
So throughout the book, this theme is prevalent with the story that Mig shares with the group and newcomers, which is tradition within indigenous groups, to pass down to their generation. So the story depicts the government's oppression and abuse of indigenous people, as I mentioned before, of extracting their bone marrow and taking them to these new schools Mm -hmm. to do so. Yeah. There's also the coming to stories, which are powerful and are only to be told by the one who experienced it and no one else. So there was a point in the book where um, Frenchie really wanted to learn about um, a character, Wob, her story, and Mig reminded him, I cannot tell you her story. She is the one who needs to tell you that story. That's how these coming to sto- coming to stories happen which is an important part in this story their um their culture and their traditions okay. the mention of language is another so frenchy is always grasping for a chance to learn a new word or of his language and whether that is from the newcomer rose or minerva which is the elder that was mentioned before she's the one that probably is the most respected because she is the one that is the oldest and knows the most about their histories and their culture and their traditions and things like that. Yeah. So the story, again, in capital, depicting the residential schools from the late 1800s and how the ancestors surpassed that to the new schools, I kind of gather that the author's tying these together, reminding readers this is a current iteration of a dark and complex history of oppression rather than a radically new idea. So it's it's this whole idea of remind like the author's consistently throughout this book is trying to remind the reader that this is not something new creating these schools having this like idea of taking something from someone or a group of people is not a new idea it's been repeated throughout history in different ways especially within indigenous peoples so that was a big theme throughout this whole book the next theme is family and coming of age so Nick putting together a family of 10 all from broken families and traumatic backgrounds is a super telling thing that happens in this book. It's just, who does that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's really hard to do that in real life. So it's just, it's really great to read about it and to see them form relationships and bonds. One of the clearest effects of the novel's residential schools and other policies concerning Indigenous people is that blood-related Indigenous families are broken up. In addition to this, Wob and Frenchie's stories suggest that the danger and the fear surrounding simply existing as an indigenous person can, um, can, can, you know, do that to you. Um, In turn, it changes parents who are physically present into inadequate advocates and protectors for their children. Wob feels abandoned by her mother, who was addicted to alcohol and then cocaine, while Frenchie and Mitch's mom fell into a depression after... Um, their da- his dad disappeared and may have purposely put herself in a situation where recruiters could take her. Again, recruiters are those that are the author deems as the ones taking indigenous people. I just wanted to reiterate that because yeah. I forgot to mention that before. I think it was kind of self-implied by what they no, were doing. So. Frenchie being able to accept this family and coming to terms with his identity in relation to his family are crucial towards his maturity and coming to age. There are also other events later in the story that really have Frenchie grasping at his identity, questioning himself and who he is, which play a huge role in his coming to age and maturity as well. The next theme is humans and nature. The entire story describes a government that creates policies that ignore the protection of the environment, which in turn destroys the planet. So, global warming. <laughs> oh my so, um, this book really touches on global warming and the effects of that. And then this is like basically the aftermath of that. So, it's really, it's really interesting to read because the author has these moments of like describing like scenes and stuff and what the way the world looks and like 
even the characters mentioning, oh, yeah, California's underwater now. You know, it's just... Oh, that's horrifying. Yeah, it's just scary. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's something that can happen, you know, um, reality of it. So through some of the coming two stories, we'll learn about who really ends up suffering from the changes of this planet. So there is a point in Wob's story where she mentions living in an apartment and also people describing the people living there they were living in the hallways they were living out in the streets there was no room for them because everyone was pushed out because of all the earthquakes destroying different lands the water california going underwater like so marginalized community yes exactly yeah getting affected the novel does not indicate a solid solution to its problem but there are indications that instead of harvesting marrow and killing off thousands of indigenous people that the indigenous people already know the methods of how to heal the land so that comes from like their traditions and the way that they view the land and the way that they protect it in its own way. And the last one is trauma, identity, and pride. The world presented is one in which indigenous people have been reduced and flattened in the eyes of the white government to be nothing other than a commodity. Those who are on the run must contend with the horrific dehumanizing fact that to many, there's something less than human. Uh, Dimaline, or Dimaline, the author, highlights the many forms of trauma that the indigenous community is forced to shoulder from physical violence to emotional pain. Dimaline ultimately argues that indigenous identity deserves to be celebrated and that having pride in one's identity as an indigenous person can be a powerful thing. This is seen when Frenchie and his friends are reminded of how valuable their bodies are and that they are constantly at risk. This creates an environment in which indigenous people must consistently protect their bodies and their minds from trauma of all sorts and the effects of the traumatic experiences that they're unable to prevent ripple outwards through the community. Emotional trauma is described in every coming to story. So everybody's coming to story has some sort of trauma that they in turn are carrying with them with the group. Um, And then there are mentions of pride through Frenchie's point of view. So when he's admiring hair, like a mohawk he sees on another indigenous person that they come across, when he fixates on the buffalo tattoo on Mick's hand, which is considered the wedding ring that he had with his um, husband in the past, and then Minerva singing. So Minerva, the elder, she sings a lot and does a lot of um, traditional singings or songs. Sorry, traditional songs. So this sense of pride in one's identity as an indigenous person is what the novel suggests will ultimately provide the tools and the knowledge necessary to effectively stand up to the government and to the recruiters and to stop the harvest of indigenous bone marrow altogether. The novel itself stands as a mirror through which indigenous readers can see themselves, their past trauma, and their resilience reflected back to them. They are encouraged to feel empowered by their cultural identity and its associated struggles rather than defeated by it. So that's kind of what I got from it. That was like the whole section with the pride and trauma and remembering that. And I really, going into likes now, I really love this book. Yeah. It's so powerful. It's a quick read. The pacing was beautiful. And there was no fluff. You know how like some authors do extra fluff? Yeah. This didn't have it. It was very straight to the point. I think what I mentioned was you really got to know the characters and connect with them, which is why I felt so moved by this story. I teared up during Wob's coming to story, and I remember reading these stories and thinking, I have no doubt something like this happened in Indigenous people's histories in our in real life. That I mean, the trauma possible, and everything. Yeah. And that these are all really horrifying actions that happen and someone had to experience. Like, I just sat there reading all these coming to stories, and I'm just like, this had to have happened to somebody. Like, she didn't just come up with this. Like, it was probably told, and it's horrifying. It's horrifying to read them and to know that this happened. And I'm getting emotional talking about it because it's really, it's really sad. 
It's really sad. And dislikes, I don't really have any dislikes. It was a fantastic read. I understand why I bought, got a lot of awards. Yeah. And I really recommend people read it because it's just, you're following this found family. You're following and learning about their traumas, how they heal together, how they really hold their identity and who they are proudly and strong and just right. it's just beautiful it's beautiful to read and see and the only other dislike would be besides the audiobook <laughs> the audiobook did not get edited well that's my only thing oh interesting <laughs> there were times i heard the same two sentences played twice so i think that's probably like an editing error where they the, it could be yeah that they just missed it and didn't delete one version of it because it did sound different so that was just my only <laughs> so maybe they don't have people re-listening <laughs> Yeah. So other reads that I also want to recommend for people for this month is the second book of this. There is a second book after this one, and we do have it. It's called Hunting by Stars. Yeah, it's part of this duology, I believe. There is a graphic novel called Daughters of Snow and Cinders by Nuria Tamari. This also touches on the effects of human and nature, and um, it's also an indigenous read, and it has um, it has beautiful art, and it's also trigger warnings. There is some violence in the pictures and stuff like that as well. Yeah. So just a head up but it does touch on that aspect of global warming that is my read <laughs> well i'm glad that you liked it yeah i really liked it and i was scared i was like because i told you guys last month i was really excited to read it I, I also was like what if i'm just hyping myself up and i'm just super disappointed and i'm like oh no i wasn't it was amazing to read and i didn't want to put it down yeah i think well with mine like i read it i think i read i started it like in the afternoon and i stayed up to finish it mm -hmm. Because it was one of the, I don't know, I think it was, like, the first one that of the ones that we've read that I, like, didn't want to put down. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to find those. You don't yeah. always do. You don't always do. But I I think we both had some really good ones that y'all can read now mm -hmm. and hopefully pick up and enjoy as well. Cause, and we have a whole display downstairs at our if you're in Watsonville to come and check out that Stephanie and our other co-worker Angelica put together of Native American reads and um, by authors. Oh. I would probably give my, I don't know if I want to give mine another five or a four and a half, but I think I might give it a five. It's worth it. <laughs> I think it's worth it. There's nothing else that bad I could say about this book. Interesting. There's really nothing I could say bad about this book. It's just not my, like, it's, like you said, it's not my place to like dislike. It's just the audiobook. But honestly, even if I had a dislike, there's none. Like, there's just none. Yeah, I think for me, like, and I, I had told Celeste this once I finished it a few weeks ago, I I really do feel like this is a five. Like, I just I just think that one of those books that people should read, like, I feel like when I was growing up, there was books that we had to read in school. And I think, I think those books, they're great, but there are certain perspectives. And I think, like, this one gives a really interesting perspective because it's a native one. And I think also like it has quite a bit of youth in it mm -hmm. which could be really interesting for them to read like i know it's an adult book but you know we have there's a lot of mature readers there we have a lot of teens that come in and read from the adult section yeah definitely we do. um you know maybe like an intro college writing class i don't know but yeah. for me it's it's truly a five yeah i I agree. Mine's a five as well. And, you know, mentioning that my own opinion, in my own opinion, yeah. prefacing, I really think I do. I think uh, some of the teens that I work with have spoken that they do have an ethnic class. Oh, ethnic studies. Ethnic studies. Yeah. yeah. And they're in the school. But I guess the school district's planning to take it away. Um, oh, really? So they're trying to fight to keep it into the schools. And I and I 
highly suggest that they do, but because it's really important to learn from other people's perspectives and other groups' perspectives. And I think there needs to be um, some, some, hopefully, if any English teachers are listening, definitely have your students or a lesson about a Native American book and read. Yeah. I mean, if anything, it's like, it's just, it's good to have like a list of materials you can recommend. Yeah, definitely. Which I'm hoping I can do for teens. I'm hoping to make lists to keep in the teen room yeah. for like different genres and different months and stuff like that. Right. Which I need to get to making. Those take a long time. <laughs> and they have to be updated. Yeah, and they have to be updated constantly. There's always new stuff. But yeah. So for next month, we do not have a read. It might be a TBD for right now um, to be determined. We might just read something like mood reading, and it might be just a surprise for everybody because right now we have no idea. <laughs> no, <laughs> I I think at this point it's probably going to be whatever we we gravitate to. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you all come by or go through Libby and pick up what we've just mentioned today, and um, continue to read Indigenous books this month. Yeah. But we'll we'll see you all, or you'll hear us all in the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bye. Bye.